0: Good morning everyone. How's everyone doing? Good and the weather has been good also with a bit of rain. You know, Yesterday morning I was up and, at Bukit Gambe, and I was looking across to Penang Hill and couldn't see Penang Hill. You know, it's so bad. <laughs> but then it started to rain and after the rain I looked back and I realized, wow, it's cleared up. So thank God at least we can breathe better for a short while but we have to endure another two more weeks or so. But God is still good. Amen. Now, this is, has been the last uh, three, three weeks have been, you know, pe- people have been traveling here and there. Actually, come to think of it, we have three long weekends consecutive, right? Three long weekends. And uh, so, people have been moving around. We welcome you if you have come from afar. And, you know, our members are also all over the place. But two weeks ago, I began a mini-series on the life of Job. And I would like to just jump back in and refresh a bit for those of you who were not around two weeks ago. As we go into the first chapter, would you open your Bibles if you have? In the first chapter, we are told that uh, we just jump in verse six. Now, there was a the day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along, came among them. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increase in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Let's pray. Father, we ask that these words and that which follows will speak to each one of us by the power of your Spirit and will strengthen us in our faith to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. All I got to say, amen. Now, this conversation took place in the heavenly realm. The character that's involved is Job. And he is not privy to this conversation. He doesn't know what's going on. That there has been a conversation in another realm. And soon after this, something happens. What was going on? Satan was insinuating that Job does not really love God. He only loves the gifts and the blessings of God. That he only fears God because of the many blessings. So Satan challenged God on the character, the person of Job. And basically he's saying, I know this man. I know him better than you do. You think he's, he loves you? You think he really loves you and, you know, he's really fearing you for who you are. No, he just wants your blessings. If you would just remove these blessings from his life, he will turn and he will curse you to the face. So he's telling God, God, I know this man better than you do. And God says to, to, to Satan, you know, I know him better. And you can test him. God allowed Satan to test Job to see if what he said was true, because God knew it wasn't true, okay? But he sets the limits. He told Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so, as a result of this, immediately on that same day, Job lost all his vast possessions. He was the greatest of all the men in the East, probably the richest. And all his ten children died in one catastrophic day. And he had no idea what hit him. You know? Such unimaginable loss in one single day. He did not know of the conversation that had gone on in another realm between God and Satan. Now, you and I know because the narrator is telling us the story. Right? But... He is in the story and he doesn't know. It's just like when you are going through a storm, you, know, you don't know what's going on. The weather forecaster can tell you because it's outside the scene. They can look at the patterns and they can say, oh, wind speed building up, coming which direction, but you are right in the middle, you don't know what's going on and you have no communication, everything is, has been, you know, kind of like blown down and you know, you're wondering what in the world is happening. So he has no idea that he's suffering because of something that has happened in the heavenlies between God and Satan, and he is searching for answers. But as far as we know, he never got the answers because we don't even know who wrote this book of this book called Job, right? Because it could not have been him because it it tells about the end of his life. Now, when you write a story of your own life, do you write about how you died? You can't, right? So, obviously, somebody else could have written it. could have been Moses. We are not very sure. But what we do know is that it's the inspired Word of God. So, he probably never got the answers at the end. But the question is, how would he respond to such a severe test? He had every reason to curse God. And this is how he responds, Job 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, which is a sign of mourning. He shaved his head, same. And he fell to the ground, and what did he do? He worshiped. This was something that Satan did not expect. God expected it, God knew his servant. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It sounds like we are in a funeral. These are the words that are often spoken only in funerals, but it's always true of our lives. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So, Satan said to God, he will curse you the moment you take away all these blessings from his life but Job did the very opposite he blessed God and in so doing he declared that he feared God not for what God gave him but for who God was that was a victory for God he confessed it was God who gave me everything I ever had and he has the right To take away everything if he so chooses. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had a right theology about God and Satan. Because it was not Satan, as far as he he was concerned, it was not Satan who took away all he had. It was the sovereign Lord who took it away because he had the right to do it and because he is good, he is loving. And he's wise in all he does. And can we say amen? Yes. Even though we do not always see it, he's good, he's loving, he's wise. And sometimes when we go through such trials, we are tempted to think bad thoughts about God. You know? We ask God, do you know what's going on in my life? Do you know I'm suffering? Do you even care that I am suffering Do you enjoy seeing me suffer? (laughs) And it can get worse than that, okay? But Job did not think evil of God. He responded to the tragedy with faith. He continued to submit himself to God. He worshipped God. He passed this test. But before he could even get over the loss of his children and his possessions, Suddenly, he struck with boils all over his body. And if you are reading this book for the first time, how many of you have read through the entire book? Well, Joe, let me just take a, a show of hands. Okay? Read through the entire book. Okay? It's only about one-third of you. The rest of you today, go and read it. Right? If you cannot sleep tonight, read it. It might put you to sleep. Because there are long, 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 long conversations later. Right? So, if you read this for the first time, up to this point, you are wondering, you know, God, what are you doing? Why would you subject your servant who loves you so much to so, such great trial? Is this how you reward the people who worship you, who fear you? It seems so unreasonable. Now, Job didn't even know. Now, we know because we are reading the, the story behind the story. Okay? What happened? Satan had challenged God again. And he told God, Job remains faithful to you only because he still has his health because that's what is the most precious thing to him. If you take away his health, he is going to curse you. Job 2.5, But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. So Job... being tested a second time god told him goes told satan all right you can take away his health but you must spare his life and so he ended up with boils all all over his body and he was in misery he couldn't rest at all there's no part of his body that he could sleep on he could not eat and you know it was he was miserable but he was still maintaining his faith in God and his integrity. But you know what? Mrs. Job couldn't take it anymore because not only did Job suffer, his wife suffered and perhaps even more because who bore the 10 children? Who raised them up? Who nursed them? It was Mrs. Job. So she had reached the end of a limit and his wife said to him in Job 2.9, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. If your spouse tells you, curse God and die, what are you going to say? Huh? I mean, she, she couldn't take it anymore. more. I can't believe it. You're still holding on to this God after all that he has allowed in your life, you know, and, and you are the one who says, you know, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, and you accept everything, you know. How would you respond if your spouse tells you, you know, curse God and die? Now, there are two ways to respond, okay. Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Okay, is that, is that bad? It's not so bad. What he's actually telling his wife is this, honey, I know you're not that kind of woman. I know this is not what you normally say, but you've had too much and you're starting to speak like those foolish women. Okay, that's not so bad. If he had said foolish woman, shut up. That's really bad, okay? (laughs) There's a big difference between the first way of speaking that Job did and the second way of speaking. So he was appealing to his wife. I know this is very hard for you. In fact, it's more difficult for you than me. But don't speak like the foolish woman. (laughs) Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? Wow, this is... A statement of great fortitude. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He said the right thing. See, God has given Job what is good. All these years, all these blessings, greatest man in the East, 10 beautiful children. And as far as Job is concerned, God, you have the right to take away whatever you give me. You have the right to give what is good and you have every right to allow adversity, pain, and loss. And so, we ask ourselves this uh, this question. Do I love God for who He is? Or do I only love God because He has blessed me with His blessings of family, good health, Okay. Do I really love God for who He is? And do I love Him more than anything else in life? Can God be loving when He takes away everything from us? Now, this doesn't happen to everybody. This is like a very you know, extreme example in the Bible. But Job maintained his faith. He did not give up on God he understood that God was still sovereign and if he allows this, then he accepts it. Even though he cannot understand. And his view of the universe is a biblical view. He did not believe in some kind of dualism, you know, where there is God on one side. And then there's the devil, on, or Satan on the other side, fighting for control of the universe where sometimes God prevails and he's blessed and sometimes Satan prevails then you know, he loses his blessing. You know, he, he's not living in that kind of you know, dualistic universe. Where there's a constant struggle between the forces of God and the forces of evil. He believed that there was only one supreme ruler of the universe, and that is God Himself. You can know, say Amen. And that He is in sovereign control and total control, and nothing happens without His express permission. Satan cannot do anything unless God allows. There was a hedge of protection around his life, even though he didn't know it. Satan could not even touch this man until God said, okay, you can have a go with him, but this is the limit, right? So he passed the first test, but there would be more to come. And we would expect that God would quickly restore at least his health so that he can rest and he can recover and he can get always lost, but not so. In Job 7, verse 2 to 3, he says, like a slave, who longs for the shadow, and like a hireling who looks for his wages, so I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are appointed for me. So, you know, it was just just for one or two days. It went for weeks. It went for months where he was in agony. And the question we ask is, why? Didn't he respond with faith and submission? Didn't he declare with his words, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I accept it. God gives good. God gives evil. It's okay with me. You know, didn't he express his continued faith and hang on to God? Why didn't God say enough? He has passed the test. All right, Satan. Satan. Take away your hand now. Okay? You can't touch him anymore. And his health will be restored. No, it dragged on for months. Obviously, God had a purpose. He had something to teach Job. Maybe he has something to teach you and me as well. Because there are 42 chapters in the Bible on this one character. It's quite a lot of space devoted to the Word of God. So what's going to happen? This is the next part of the story. This is part two, okay? There's more to come, but this part two. Let's jump into chapter two now, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Now they were all living in different parts, okay? That's why their names sound so funny, right? Eliphaz, the Temanite, was from Teman. Bildad, the Shuhite, was from Shu. Zophar, the Nehematite, was from somewhere around there. Okay, Uh, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him. And they came to what? What's the word there? As we see, comfort him. That was their express goal. This poor fellow, he is suffering. He is in misery. Let's come together. Let's... Go and comfort him. Let's mourn with him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they saw him, but they did not recognize him. This guy had suffered so much, and he was, you know, he was such a bad shape that he was unrecognizable. They couldn't even recognize their friend. And so they lifted up their voices and wept. That's all they could do. And each one tore his robe against Symbol of mourning, sprinkle dust on his head toward heaven, which is another sign, mourning. So they sat down with him on the ground. How many days? Seven. Sounds like a funeral week, no? Huh? Chinese go for five days, seven days. Huh? Seven days. Now remember, Job had lost his children, and he was still in mourning, right? Seven days and seven nights. Not just days. Nights and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Hmm. Have you ever been there before? You go and visit a friend who's lost, a loved one, gone through tragic loss, and you search for words, but you don't know what to say. Seven days, seven nights. Sometimes the best thing we can say is nothing. That's it. Don't have, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> Just be with the person who is suffering. And this was the best thing these three friends ever did for him. Okay. Unfortunately, it only lasted for seven days. <laughs> for the next 29 chapters, we have long conversations. Almost like argument. They came to comfort him, but they were not really comforting him. They should have just kept quiet. (laughs) If I had a title for this sermon, it would be, How Not to Comfort the Afflicted. It's something that we can all learn. And Job responds to his three friends about his suffering. And there are three cycles of conversations that follow. So, you know, if you can't sleep tonight, you can read through all that. Cycle one, right? Eliphaz speaks, Job re- re- responds. Bildad speaks, Job responds. Zophar speaks, Job's response. And then it goes into cycle two and then cycle three. Each cycle gets a bit shorter because they're basically saying the same thing again and again. Very, very long winded, Chonghei, you know. And the last guy couldn't even bring anything out, you know. And so the pattern was broken. Okay. After this, there was a long speech by a young man called Elihu, which we might go into later. And then God speaks to Job, and then chapter 42 is so, you know, it's like the end. Everything is resolved, huh? and you know there's a, a happy ending. Huh? Not all stories have a happy ending, by the way. Now, what does the author want us to learn from these long speeches? And how Job responded. I mean, there are 29 chapters of speeches. Okay? I'm not going to preach 29 sermons. I'm just going to do one. Is that all right? Save your time, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the months have rolled on. And finally, Job is so weary. And he's been stretched to the limit. And he opens his mouth and that's when he gets into trouble as well. <laughs> okay. And this is what he says. Now, these are some of his responses. I just excerpt them. 19.11. He, referring to God, he has also kindled his wrath against me and he counts me as one of his enemies. And 33.10, yet... He finds occasion against me. He counts me as his enemy. He's beginning to think that God may have turned to become his enemy. Now, this is not true. This is how he feels. This is how he speaks. Okay? Now, when people are in pain, they do not always speak sense. Are you with me? Hello? Have you seen that happen before? Right? Is it wrong to speak like that? Not necessarily. It's better to speak than to internalize it. It's better to let it out, okay? And so the first cycle of conversation was prompted by some of Job's outbursts, okay? Now, after seven days of silence and uh, suffering, uh, Job opened his mouth. Now, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, and this is what happened. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish wherein I was born, ooh. Ever said that before? I hope not. See, this is after weeks and weeks and probably months of unbearable pain. Now Job begins to question God, chapter three, verse eleven. He says, "Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and just expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should suck?" Job three twenty. Why is light given to him who is in misery? And life to the bitter in soul who long for death, but it comes not. So he's questioning, why was I ever born? Is there any reason for my life when I'm in such misery? I want to die, but I cannot die. What's going on? I think Job is depressed. Doesn't that sound like a depressed person talking? Hello? Huh? I wish I was I wish I could die. I wish I was never born. And he's not alone. You say, what? This is a great man of God. He was blameless. He was upright. Yes, man of God can become depressed. (laughs) Jeremiah was depressed before. Elijah asked God, take my life. (laughs) Enough. Take my life. (laughs) After the great victory over the prophets of Baal, you see, even men of God can be depressed. Even men of God can commit suicide when the depression is, you know, so bad and especially when they do not seek for help. Depression is serious. Don't take it lightly. If somebody tells you, you know, I want to die, don't, don't take it lightly, you know. I, uh, this is just say uh, onila. Refer them to help. There's no shame to see a counsellor, to see a psychiatrist necessary. Because after all, when we are sick in our body, we see a doctor, right? When we are struggling with some mental health issues, we see a doctor. This is the, the stigma that has to be removed. So, human beings can go through times of depression. But you know what? It does not mean that we have lost our faith. It just means that we are going through a tough time. It just means that we are struggling. It doesn't mean that we have lost our faith and you you will see later on that Job was still hanging on to God. You see, when we are suffering, we want to know why. But we may not always find the answer. And when we are suffering, we may not even be able to think straight. And for some, they go into a, a shell. They don't want to talk. They want to be left alone. But then when they are ready to talk, they must talk. And we must let them talk. They must have an outlet. Okay? So here are three cycles of long conversations. Eliphaz responds to Job. This is in chapter 4 and 5. Okay? And uh, in his theology is very simple. Verse 7 and 8, chapter 4. Think now, who that was innocent ever perished? In other words, he's asking Job, have you ever seen innocent people perishing? or oh, where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In other words, what's he saying to Job? Job, brother Job, trouble only comes to those who sin. Sin causes suffering. Righteousness leads to prosperity. And he says also in verse 17, can mortal man be righteous before God? In other words, you know, you think you are so righteous? There's no righteous person. Can a man be pure before his maker? But he also gives a concession, verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. Now, he is telling us that suffering is, can be the living chastening of God sometimes okay not always but sometimes so you need the wisdom to discern and then in verse 5 and 6 he scolds job chapter 4 he says but now it referring to suffering has come to you in other words before suffering come to you came to you you know we have no problem you know you you're always patient and but now it has come to you you are impatient It touches you and you are dismayed. What's happening here? Eliphaz is basically insensitive and his theology is simplistic. It doesn't answer the hard questions of life. And sometimes we can also be guilty of the same when we talk to people who are suffering. We can oversimplify what's going on. Now, his simple principle of justice does not explain why Job is suffering. It's not satisfactory. Build that comes in, this is the second of the three friends, chapter 8, 3, and 4. And he argues, does God pervert justice? Job, if you think that God is not being fair to you in allowing you this suffering, do you think God is perverting justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against Him, He has delivered them into the power of their transgression. Whoa, 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 this is bad. (laughs) He's telling Job, Job, perhaps, you know why your children were all crushed to death on the same day? They must have sinned against God. You didn't know about it, but they must have sinned against God. This is really terrible. And in verse uh, 6 and 7, same chapter, if you will seek God and make supplication to the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and reward you with a rightful habitation. Wow. What is he saying? Brother Job, it must be because you are not pure in heart. Huh? There must be some secret sin in your life and you probably have not prayed enough. You know? Have anyone ever told you this? You have not prayed enough. You haven't prayed hard enough. That's why you know, these bad things are happening to you. It's bad theology, really. It's the worst thing you can say to people who are suffering, who have lost their loved one, and say it's because this loved one has sinned against God. That's why, you know, God judged him or her. Uh, or worse still, he, uh, your loved one died because you have sinned or because you didn't pray for them enough. You know, you are not spiritual. You didn't fast and pray. This is Cruel. This is a cruel way of talking and these are examples given to us in the Bible so that, you know, we can learn. This guy was playing God, you know. How did he know that Job's children had sinned and that's why God, you know, judged them and killed them all in one day? How did he know? Is he God? Does he have the right to judge? Job replies to them. Basically, he's saying your argument does not agree with reality. He gives one example, 9, 22 to 24. He says, God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. If it is not he who did this, then who is he? Now, remember Job's view of God and the universe is that there is only one person who controls the entire universe. Are you with me? Never does he ever shift from that to begin to waver. Maybe Satan is controlling part of it and then, you know, today, you know, God's having a bad day, Satan having a good day, that's why, you know, I'm suffering. His theology is solid. He knows that there's only one sovereign God of the universe and he, he knows that, you know, where, even when the, the wicked rule, it is because God allows it. Just look at how many countries that have been ruled by wicked people, even today. I don't want to name examples, okay? In case I get into trouble, <laughs> all right? <laughs> yeah, this is the world we live in. It's too simple to say that, you know, the, those who are wicked will always perish. Those who are righteous will always, you know, be prosperous and healthy and wealthy. Job is insisting, I'm not guilty, I know I'm not guilty. Now, this is what he says in chapter 10, verse 6 and 7. He, you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin, although you know that I'm not guilty. He's talking to God, by the way. He's not talking to his friends. Okay? He, and he maintains, you know, I know I'm not guilty. I've not done anything terrible to deserve what's happening to me. And Zophar comes in and he's basically insisting, you know, Job, you cannot be innocent. All these things have been, happened to you. There must be a reason. And he's telling Job, God is not even giving you what you really deserve. <laughs> In other words, Job, it could have been worse. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had friends come and tell you, you know? <laughs> yeah, what happened to you is bad, but it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> You know, God didn't give you what you deserve. You deserve worse. God has been merciful to you. Put away your sin, and God will restore you. Now, uh, 11.14 sums up what it says. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. What is he saying? Job, you are suffering because not only have you sinned, but you refuse to repent. Oh, one after another, they attack him. They're supposed to comfort him, by the way. And finally, Job had enough. Chapter 13. This end of the first round, I think. And he tells his three friends, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent and you, it would be your wisdom. He's being very polite. You know. If he were you and me, he would just say, shut up and go home. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's the simple language. <laughs> okay, But... They did not. And there are two more rounds of similar arguments. Okay? I will not depress you with more of the same. Okay? Except to say that round two, they become more agitated and they become more harsh with their words. And Job maintains his integrity and then round three, another round, although it gets shorter, okay? because they run out of words. Now Job's friends are insisting on this one thing. Suffering Always follows wickedness. And this is the gist of the argument. 22 verse 5 Is not your wickedness great? There is no end to your iniquities. And then they say something very surprising For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. You have sent widows away empty and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Huh? Why did this happen? Three times it says that Job was blameless and upright. God said it two times from his own mouth. You mean these people know something that God doesn't know? Hello? He made it up in his mind to sustain his argument. You know, it's like when you cannot win the argument, you know, you, you better manufacture some new facts <laughs> to try and, you know, convince the other guy, you know, that you, you really deserve this. You know, to, for God to punish you like that, you must have done something really bad. So they, they were attacking him round one, round two, round three with friends like this. Who needs enemies? You know, he, he, they were not helping him at all. But Job is a good man, and yet he's suffering. You know, in this world, sometimes good people suffer, and wicked people do not always suffer. Isn't that right? Psalm 37, 73, go back and read that. You know, these are uh, cries from the righteous when they see the wicked prospering, you know. As the misery rolls on, Job sinks into despair, you know, and he longs for death. And in chapter 10, verse 20, he tells them, Cease, in other words, stop, stop talking. Leave me alone. He just wants a bit of peace. Leave me alone that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. Whoa. He just wants to be left alone. His friends are not helping him. But they will not leave him alone. This is chapter 10. (laughs) There's another 20 chapters to go. (laughs) Okay. What are the lessons that we can learn from this story? Just this part. Number one, don't be a job's comforter. You know what's a job's comforter? Instead of comforting, <laughs> you are doing the opposite. <laughs> Sometimes we mean well, right? But, you know, we, the result may not be good. They are already suffering. And the last thing that we should tell them is this, you must have sinned. You must have sinned. That's why you're suffering. Don't apply theology in an insensitive and superficial way because it will do more harm than good. You see, suffering and prosperity is not always in proportion to the evil or the good of people. That means good people do not always get blessed materially as, you, as we know it on this earth. Wicked people are not always destroyed. Those who suffer most may be the best. We know that a lot of God's people in the Bible and even today are suffering in some of these countries that are ruled by authoritarian governments. Those who prosper may be the worst. Some of the richest people may be the worst people because they make their money through criminal means. And they're prospering. This is a reality. You don't have to look far to find examples of this, right? So Job remains steadfast. But what we can see is that none of us responds to suffering in a perfect way. Not even Job. He was a man of God. He had great faith. He endured. But as the months went on, misery upon misery, he began to grow tired. But you know what? His faith was still holding on to God. He could not understand what was going on. He could only hold on and trust that somehow God has a purpose. And, and even though he could not understand, God is still good. Now, the third lesson is what are the worst things to say to the grieving? David Kessler, an ex- expert on grief, he said sometimes we don't know what to say and we say what is hurtful. We don't mean to hurt, but we may say what is hurtful. And here are some examples. Okay? Worst things to say. Right. Somebody left, uh, some, your, your friend you know, lost, say, grandmother, 90 years old, 95, died. And to tell your friend, she lived a long life. Many people die young. What? You mean she's supposed to die just because she's 95? <laughs> I should not <laughs> grieve over her? I mean, we grieve over people whether they are, they are 35 or 95. Okay? And another mistake is they tell the person who's mourning, you know, I know how you feel. Do you? Does anyone know how the person really feels in their grief? Of course, you know, we don't. And no point comparing, oh, I also lost a grandmother before. Okay. No two person grieves in the same way. And what still, if you're a close friend, you know, after some months, some years, you know, and they are still sad, then you say to your friend, aren't you over him yet? He's been dead a while now. You need to move on. What? Move on? You mean I should forget him completely? I mean, are you setting a time limit for your friend to get over the loved one? You cannot set an artificial timeline. Doesn't help. Okay. What if somebody loses a child? You tell the person, you can still have another child. You mean children are replaceable? Huh? Lose one, produce another one. <laughs> Will that take away the pain? And another common mistake is that uh, this is something that you know, I've done. The, I've made this mistake before. So you, know, you tell someone who is suffering, you know, who is grieving, be strong. What does be strong mean? <laughs> does it mean you know stop crying? You no, know? right? Don't moan, don't grieve anymore. Just get on with life, you know. Your family needs you. Or we tell the person, time will heal. Time heals all wounds. How do you know? Have you been there? And Christians like to say this, they are in a better place. (laughs) And they say to you, if they can tell you, they will say, I know, but I want him to be here the better place it doesn't make sense now one of the worst things to say is this you tell the person who is mourning grieving the loss of a loved one you tell them it is God's will yo. really uh? are you God do you really know this is God's will I don't even know we are pastors we don't know. The movie of our life is still being played. It hasn't ended yet. Maybe at the end we look back, we will know this. perhaps this was God's will, but for now we see through a glass darkly. So, what are the best things to say? Okay. Number one, say nothing. <laughs> if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just you know, give them a firm handshake or if it's, if it's appropriate, you know, a hug and just be with them. That's all. You cannot fix the situation. It's good to say, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, that, that's the, 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 the words that I always say, you know, when I, I meet people who have lost their loved one. You know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. I cannot imagine what you've gone through. Right? This is always appropriate. You and your loved ones will be in my prayers. That is also good. I don't know how you feel. I just know I'm here by your side. You see, sometimes when we don't know what to say, we try to avoid the person because it's so awkward. You know, it's like, you know, you don't know what to say. And avoiding them is even worse. So it's just... Good to be just be present, and don't have to say anything. Or I wish I had the right words. If you really, if you really have to say something, just say, "I wish I have the right words, but I don't." You know, I'm just here for you. It also is helpful to tell the person something about their loved one that you know touched your life. Like my favorite memory of your loved one is this. Especially if they didn't know this happened. Because when you do that, it validates the life of the person, the value of the person. The kindest thing to do is just listen and share memories. In so doing, you affirm the depth of their grief and you keep the loved one alive. Now there's another therapist who specializes in traumatic loss and challenges the whole idea that you know we want to seek closure. We want to have closure, and then we can move on. He says this closure. Jennifer Seuss, she says closure isn't really the thing that people think it is. Now this is something that will challenge our thinking, and you know it got me thinking too. She says the belief that closure exists and ought to be a goal of grief is simply is uh, simply not helpful. For more than a decade now, she's been telling her grief support group to let go of this idea of closure. In other words, it's not always helpful to seek to have closure because this person has been part of your life and will always be part of your life. It's healthier, she says, to work towards integration, which is the process of figuring out how to Integrate the experience and even the experience of loss of a precious person into who we are and what that will look like moving forward. You see, that person has been part of your life and will always be part of your life. Now, you have to come to terms with the change. You have to integrate the loss into your life so that it has new meaning. And that is something that will take time to figure out what will it be now moving forward. So, you can think about this. as a new thought. So as I sum up, The best things that his three friends did was the first seven days. And they sat down and they kept quiet before they lost it. (laughs) I hope you and I do not lose it when our friends and family members need us the most. Why is there such a story? 42 chapters in the Bible James sums up in James five, ten, eleven. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of what? Example of what? Suffering. Oh that word that we don't like. That word that is seldom mentioned in the popular gospel today. That's preached in so many churches. We hardly ever hear this. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, they are an example of suffering. And what? Patience. It's about suffering. Job's life is about suffering and patience. More than that. Indeed, we count them blessed. Who what? Endure. It's about endurance. Oh, we need to learn endurance. It's never too early. Character, the character camp is going to learn about endurance. From young, we need to learn endurance. So, what is the story about? It's about suffering, it's about patience, it's about endurance. More than that, you have heard of the perseverance of Job, which is basically endurance, right? And you have seen the end. Intended by the Lord. What is the end intended by the Lord? What was the whole point of God allowing all these to go on? Okay, makes you think, right? This is a special effect. Lights go off. (laughs) No, they're trying to fix the lights. (laughs) Something is wrong, okay. (laughs) What is the end? Why is this happening to Job? What was the end intended by the Lord? That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. This is the whole point of the story. It is to show us an example of suffering and patience and endurance. And it is to show us that the Lord is very compassionate and very merciful. Amen? and that He's very good, He's very wise, and whatever He does is because He's merciful, He's compassionate, and we can trust Him to the end. Let's pray. As we bow in the presence of our God, perhaps you can look back At times in your life when there has been suffering and pain and loss that didn't make sense and perhaps when you look back you begin to realize yes the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And perhaps there are some who are currently still enduring still hanging on And before we sing our last song, declaring it is well with my soul, as Job demonstrates, if there's someone here today that would say, Pastor Isaac, I'm trying to make sense of what's going on in my life. And it may not be because you've lost a loved one, but it may be because you've lost something very precious to you or you're going through a struggle, or you're suffering because of something that you did not do. You don't know why it's happened. And today, you're asking the same questions. Maybe this sermon is helping to answer some of your questions, but maybe you're struggling and you're saying, Pastor Isaac, would you pray for me? I need more wisdom from God. I need discernment. I need to be able to see and to see more clearly. And I need the strength to, to endure and to persevere until the end. <clears throat> if that's you, while our heads are would you just lift your hand as a sign so I may pray for you? Is there someone like that? Yes. <clears throat> One, two, yes. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Sister, the back. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. All right, we're going to pray right now. And if you raise your hand, would you put your hand on your heart right now? Even if you didn't raise your hand, you want to receive this prayer, would you put your hand on your heart as we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we know you are very compassionate and merciful. And we know that whatever you have allowed is your sovereign will in our lives and that you are in full control And we pray right now for your strength in the hearts of our brothers and sisters who need that strength to carry on, to hold on to you and never let go because you will never let go of their hands and you will continue to work in their lives to fulfill your purpose. Father, we pray that you will give discernment also that you give greater understanding in the days to come. Give greater clarity so that they will be able to move from the present into the future with greater confidence, knowing that you are at work in their lives and you are accomplishing a good purpose. You are good, you are wise, you are loving, you are kind and you have a purpose for everything. Lord, we ask for your strength for each of them. Our brothers and sisters, to endure to the end. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.